Folks, this week we're joined by J.D. Sustar. He is the finance cowboy on the Pre-Real podcast. Uh, J.D.'s got a pretty remarkable story. He just started branding a year ago. He's up at 80,000 followers. Uh, he's absolutely crushing it on single-family acquisitions. Uh, he's up to about 22 doors. We talk a lot about building the brand, how to build that personal brand, how to make that reach turn into opportunities and, of course, profit at the end of the day. Uh, he walks you through his pro forma, uh, how to manage it from acquisition right on through the closing and post-management, how to do it at scale. So, uh, J.D. Sustar, this week on the show, don't miss it. Are you ready to bring your real estate game to the next level? My name is James Prendamano. I'm the CEO and founder of Pre-Real. And over the past 25 years, I've closed over a billion dollars in transactional real estate. Each week, I'm meeting with outstanding investors, high-performing individuals, and visionaries operating in the real estate space. These are the people that are actually out there in the real estate game right now getting it done. This podcast aims at bringing anyone's game to the next level. This is the Pre-Real Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Pre-Real Podcast. We're joined today by J.D. Suster. He is the finance cowboy. Uh, we're going to jump in with J.D. You know, we've talked a lot, folks, over the last year or so about the market and the importance of content and social media. We've talked a lot about taking your first steps and in investing uh, we've talked a lot about vetting where you're placing your money if you're not an active investor. And JD has an amazing story to share. Uh, he has grown his social media following up to 75,000 or 80,000 followers in a very short amount of time. And he's working to leverage that now into uh, opportunities. JD, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today. What's up, man? I appreciate you having me. I uh, appreciate you being on. Uh, this is, these are funny times, you know, and we've spoken so much about folks investing in themselves, investing in their brand and trying to find a safe place at a time when the world seems to be upside down, at least the financial markets are. Um, I think it'd be neat for you to give the audience a, a little bit of context about you and where you started, and then we can get into how you grew it. Yeah, definitely. And, and you you mean from the, the brand side, the finance cowboy side? Yeah. Yeah. So we were talking about this earlier uh, before we started the show. I, um, I have a family member who is super, way smarter than I am. They're older than I am. They're successful. They're like a couple steps down from the CEO in a, in a large hospital system here uh, in the Southeast. And uh, I have been investing in real estate since 2018, and it grew my wife and I's net worth substantially. You know, we raised our cash flow, we're building all this wealth. And so I'm telling my family, obviously, super excited about it. And uh, this family member always, I don't want to use the word blew me off, but, you know, it's kind of like, you know, JD's a little more blue collar, rough around the edges. We'll see if this works out for him. And he never, still to this day, has bought real estate, just kind of blew me off. You know, and um, so I stopped talking to him about it. I was like, you know what? I don't care. <laughs> you know, we're doing our thing. I'm doing good. I'm just going to stay in my lane. And then last June, he decides to start sending me posts from this 26 year old on Instagram who had 30,000 followers who was teaching people to invest in index funds. And so now this 26 year old with a very minimal net worth 
but he had followers, had been able to convince my family member who has never invested in before outside of his 401k. Well, now he had taken the dabble into index funds because this guy said to do it. And so I have nothing against index funds. I own some index funds. That's fine. But I'm my whole thing is I couldn't get anything through his thick skull. Now this 26-year-old did. I got to hop on social media and give this a shot. And so hence, uh, that's how Finance Cowboy was born. I think it was July 12th of 2021. It was actually under a different name. The name was too niche. I was putting cowboy boots on one day and the name hit me Finance Cowboy. And I used to talk a lot more about personal finances uh, and I still do. I think it goes hand in hand with real estate. But as I progressed and I kept growing, I would just throw stories out there about buying real estate. And it was interesting because the market on Instagram pushed me to wanting more information. People want to learn about real estate. So I went all in on that. And I, you know, get to teach the, the everyday person. Like when I think of my avatar, who am I reaching? I'm a, I'm a husband. I'm a father of three, another one on the way. I have a full-time job. I'm in the community. I coach sports groups. I'm involved at church. And so who I help is that person, the everyday person, they got a job, then maybe they have a family, they're wanting to have a family and they want to know how can I invest in real estate while doing all of this? And that's uh, it's been a, it's been a fun journey the last year and a half or so. Um, you're, are you doing brand coaching as well, or is it more real estate centric? So right now I don't have any coaching program. We are so close to launching our, just our real estate coaching program. I call it a rental academy. Now we'll teach fixing and flipping. Um, it, but, but mainly it's going to teach that everyday person. How do we build that rental portfolio, whether it be, you know, single family, multifamily, and in the course, you know, is going to be really centered on the smaller multifamily. I'm not getting into syndications with, you know, large apartment complexes and commercial buildings. Um, but no, I, I, the next course uh, or coaching that I come out with will probably be the brand because I probably get that question just as much as I do real estate. You know, people want to know, Hey, how do I do it? And I, I, I enjoy teaching that just as much as I do real estate. So I don't have that yet, but I would, I would love to be able to help people with that down the road. So single family homes is the focus for you on the investment side. Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, I would have said you're nuts. You can't scale it. You can't do it in, in any significant way without burning resources. Now we're finding some of the biggest and best real estate funds in the world are taking down huge single family portfolios. What is it about the single family that lands for you? You know, I had some guys uh, when I started, my best friend was already in real estate and his boss is, you know, it's just brilliant, I think. And everybody has good strategies. So there's, oh, oh, let me preface this. I don't think single family homes is the only way to do good, you know, real estate. You can do good multifamily, commercial, everything. But when I was first starting, I was like you, we were talking before the show about how you want to take risk and take chances, but you want to do it conservatively, as conservative as you can with as little risk as you can. And so I think when anybody's starting to invest in real estate, there's a fear. I can remember the fear. You know, I don't have it anymore. It's just like secondhand. It's almost like I don't use, use the word addiction. Once you get those first couple of deals down, it's like you just don't stop looking for the next one. You know, it's like you're ready to rock and roll now. But when I had that fear, I wanted to mitigate risk as much as possible. And I looked at like what appeals to the masses. And when you look at what appeals to the masses in real estate, it's single family homes, right? Banks love to lend to them. Why? Because everybody buys single family homes. That's the American dream. It's easy to exit them. Why? Because everybody buys single family homes. You're not just selling to investors. You can sell to an investor. I've sold rentals to investors. 
You can also, you know, put some lipstick on it and sell it to an end user who wants to buy it. So there's such a bigger pool. And then you know, there's an argument here, but I tend to think that you can get um, a little better clientele as renters in a single family home compared to an apartment. Now commercial, you know, talking about businesses, totally different, different subject, but just looking at, you know, um, small multifamily or large multifamily versus single family, I think you get good tenants. So, so when I looked at that, you know, it's easy to get into. It's easier management because the clientele and then the, the exit strategy uh, gives you the best options. You know, that's what I went with. And uh, it's really worked out. So you touched on a couple of things there. Um, is the academy going to include some coaching on mindset and helping folks get over those initial fears? 100%. That is a huge part of it. And, you know, we have a lot of pre-recorded stuff that people can hop on, but there's weekly calls, you know, that we'll have as well. And that stuff we'll talk to, cause you got to, right. I mean, I don't know if you can, you think back that far, you've been in it so long, but it's like, yeah, most people have that fear. It's like riding a roller coaster. You're so scared. Then you hop on. It's like, okay, you know, let's go now, but you got to have that conversation. You got to, the way I, the way I talk about it is we have to take that emotion, right. Cause emotion's going to be there. But we have to find a way to replace it with logic. And for me, the logic is it's riskier for my future self to not invest in real estate than it is for me to invest in real estate. So without a doubt, um, to this day, uh, I'm still learning. I guess I'm, I'm pretty damn stubborn, but I had a hard time, even after all these years, JD, realizing that if you have the deal and you have the experience, the money will come. Yeah. I had it backwards for so long. I felt that if you didn't have the access to capital, then you couldn't execute. And what I found is when you reverse it and you recognize the access to the deals and just having the experience, man, that's 90% of it. I found that there's a whole world out there that's itching to, to get involved. And by growing your, your brand, that's how folks can get involved. So yep. let's talk about, let's get in the weeds a little bit. Where are you yep. finding these deals? So I'm finding them in the upstate of South Carolina. And, and just to mention on what you just said, dude, you hit that, you hit the nail on the head. So like so many young people or young investors, don't know where to start and they think they got to be able to have this money. And the only reason I'm just reiterating this is because it's probably the number one question I get on Instagram. And I tell people, I want to trademark it, find deals, get money. Like, Hey, how do I get started? Learn everything you can about real estate and just go be a bird dog. Find as many deals as you possibly can. Then come back to me and I'll help you find funding because there are thousands, hundreds of thousands. We've got 300, 300 million people in America. Okay. Let's go. We can find somebody to lend to you. But anyways, back to your question. Well, where do I, where am I finding my deals? So I normally, because I'm in a good rental market, okay, I normally stick to close to where I'm at. So I'm in the upstate of South Carolina and I live in a town called Anderson. So if you look on a map, we're essentially right between Atlanta and Charlotte. And I'm right near a city that's growing pretty quickly in Greenville. And so I am looking in B to C class neighborhoods in my area um, that, um, we can do value adds, right. So that we can do forced appreciation off of the get go. And so I've find, I've found them a number of ways. I just locked up two properties this month. I closed on one, two weeks ago. I closed on another one on the 27th. Both of those came from the MLS, man. You know, we look at this market, they, they I watched them the day they came on and I waited until they got, they've been on the market for over 30 days. And I went in, 
offered cash $40,000 less than what they were asking, because that's what would make it a very good deal for me. One of them accepted it at $40,000 less. The other one, I got it at $30,000 less cash close, um, you know, with, with a two week span. And, um, you know, like you said, I was able to lock those up and then go find the private money because they were a heck of deals and, you know, and make it happen. So uh, that's how I'm doing it. You know, I, those were on the MLS. I've cold called and found properties. Networking's been huge for me. Like I literally teach people, just tell everybody, everybody you know that you invest in real estate, you know, get in with locksmiths, get in with contractors, tell all the realtors. I've got so many deals that, you know, I haven't bought any recently from a locksmith, but I got a guy in my church. He's a locksmith. He calls me every time he's in a house that they're about to sell, you know? And so just really networking hard, looking at the MLS, cold calling, if you want, throwing some stuff on Facebook marketplace, um, but really trying to keep those leads coming in. You're you're vetting these things uh, on a case by case basis as they came as they come in. You've got a spreadsheet you built out. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm doing. And, you know, a lot of people are asking me, why aren't you waiting until next year when the market's going to drop more? You know, aren't there going to be good deals? I think there's going to be a lot of good deals and I'm primed up and ready to rock and roll then. But why wait when you can get prices now for what they're going to be, you know, next year? It's like you said, people, the two people that I bought from, they needed to get out. Well, one of them needed to move to Michigan within three weeks. I said, well, I can do a two-week close. You know, the other one, it's an estate sale. It's surety. They want to get rid of it because they, everybody knows the market's looming. And so there's so many opportunities. And I would encourage you guys, don't just wait around and, and make sure you're vetting them, right? Give yourself a buffer in there, knowing that the market's going to slow. It's already slowing. It's going to slow more in the next year, year and a half, maybe two years. And so, you know, give yourself a good equity boost there. Um, and always run your numbers. I give out a free resource uh, that people can get from my Instagram page. And it's literally a 19 point checklist I put together that gives everybody everything that they need to look for when analyzing a rental property. And so they take that 19 point checklist, they accumulate all these different items, right? And then they go plug it into a rental calculator, which I, you know, I, I have mine that people can, that people can get, or if you got, you can get them online. If you have one, whatever, just go get a rental calculator from somewhere. You got to, you got to have something to run a pro forma, plug it all in there and then look at the numbers. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very conservative with that. And, you know, I want to make sure I have a good deal and look at the pro forma over the next three, you know, four or five, 10 years. And, um, you know, that's how I make my decisions. So what's important to you? Is it the cash on cash? Is it the the net number at the end of the month? What what works for, for JD? It, it, it varies deal by deal. That's a great question. I get asked that a lot. So like, I have a, um, Mobile home park, a mini one. It's got seven mobile homes. When I bought that, it was strictly because of cash flow. You know, right now it's cash flowing six thousand a month. It's on a ten-year note, right? And so I bought that off, of, you know, based on cash flow because that's not a you know big appreciating asset. When I buy Airbnbs, for me, it's cash flow. I'm looking at how can I maximize this cash flow. I own one in Charleston, South Carolina, brings me in eight fifty to nine hundred a month, which I think is pretty good. Could be better if I didn't have all the HOAs, but it's kind of like a beautiful scenario because I got good cash flow and it's on a gated community island with million dollar homes around me. So over time, the appreciation is going to be great too. Um, and then with my long-term rentals, man, I would be lying if I said it was all one metric um, because when I started and still to this day with a lot of my long-term rentals, you know, I really play the long game. I really do. And so I'm not looking one to two years away. I'm looking 5, 10, 15, 20 years away. And so like the deal I just closed on two weeks ago, it's cash flowing 150 bucks a month, you know, and I think the cash on cash returns somewhere like nine and a half or 10%, which is fine. 
but it's not like a killer. So might be like, well, why would you buy that? Well, let's say that this property doesn't appreciate one ounce over the next 10 years. I still have a property that is right now worth $150,000. I'm making 150 bucks a month in case crap hits the fan and somebody else is paying off that asset for me. And I don't have to do anything about it. I got a property manager in place. And so if we look 10 years down the road and I and had no appreciation whatsoever, 10, 15 years down the road, I'm gonna have a property free and clear worth $150,000. And so I, I really keep that in mind and not try to get caught up on the, the year one pro forma because we have to look at the long run. And then what I really didn't do as a rookie, and you got to be careful, you don't want to just speculate. You can't just speculate. And that's why I just gave you the example without any appreciation. But if we use some common sense, history tells us there is going to be some appreciation built in there in the long run. And then rents, based on history and data, is going to keep appreciating well. So that year one pro forma is only going to get better. So yeah, I may only make 150 bucks in cash flow year one, but what's it look like at year five? What's the value at year five? And so, you know, that's... Um, long story long that's that's kind of how i uh you know look at these properties when i'm buying them so you're flexible depending on the the particular asset and it's smart you're diversifying and you're you're trying to cover the bases so because there are a lot of ways to to earn in this business and yep. appreciation is certainly something you can't look past when you're negotiating your deals are you doing uh inspections do you have contingencies what do your deals look like I always do a physical inspection, like a home inspection, a termite inspection, obviously title inspection. Uh, those are no brainers. If somebody doesn't want to allow me to do it, I just won't buy a property, you know? And um, some could argue that that's not the smartest thing. And, you know, I would say, you know, you maybe you're right. Cause I could just get a contractor to go in there and look at it. But what I've learned over the years is, you know, contractors are like, oh yeah, we can fix that. Not a big deal. Oh yeah, we can fix that. Yeah, no biggie. Yeah, you know, next thing you know, it's $50,000. And they're like, oh, no biggie. Whereas an inspector is going to go in third party, they're going to give you the nuts and bolts of everything. And so I, I do that for, for number one. The second reason I do a physical inspection is I really think true negotiations start after you get the property under contract and you have your inspection back. I don't know how many times that I've got a property under contract, got the inspection. They'll be like, well, we're selling it as is. Well, don't let that think that don't let that make you think you can't get more money knocked off the deal as is means nothing to me, right? It just means they're not going to do it. That's fine. You don't have to do it. But I just showed you $15,000 worth of repair in this inspection report. I'm going to need $15,000 taken off of this price. And the thing is, once I do that inspection, legally, that's public knowledge. So if, if the sellers didn't know all this before, if they push me out and somebody else comes in to buy, they have to disclose that. They're supposed to. And so it's like, okay, you can kick me out. Well, you're going to have to disclose this to the next person. And so I really think that inspection gives me a lot of leverage. Without a doubt. So um, let's talk about getting to the closing table. Where are you pulling your financing from? I've done it a ton of different ways. I've done private money. Okay. I've used family. I've used friends. I've used friends of friends. I have um, used seller financing on the trailer park that we own. You know, buddy, the guy who owns it, seller financed it to us. I have put a lot of my own money into deals as a down payment, right? Saved up me and my wife when we first started, before I really started dabbling and understanding private funding and seller financing, 
we would save up everything we had as soon as we had, you know, we were buying properties for 60 to $80,000 in 2018. So as soon as we had another 12 to 15 grand saved up, boom, literally just go buy another property. And so those are, you know, kind of, and then partnerships. So, you know, where I would do an LLC with a buddy, you know, or a couple of us, and we would split the down payment so it wouldn't be as much. And so I have, you know, covered the full gamut of things. I haven't technically done hard money. You know, private money is very similar to hard money. It's just not a professional, so to speak. Uh, I have a lot of hard money lenders who message me pretty much daily, especially now that I have the reach. They all want to work with me, but I really like private money. Uh, if it's somebody I know, I normally get better deals. And, you know, I try to work in a way to not have to put any capital down. So, Sure. So are you using the private money for just the down payment or for the entire acquisition? Or are you going to like a bank and getting institutional debt for the second piece? So I'm doing the Burr method normally. So that's buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. So I'm taking private money for the entire purchase and the rehab, buying it, rehabbing it, get a tenant in, the, in there, reappraisal, 80% in theory should cover all the private money that I had lent out, pay them back plus their interest or their fee. Now I have a bank note out. Normally my bank notes are uh, 20 year AMs with a five year balloon. Uh, I do have a lender who does a straight 20 year amortization. And so I actually refinance a lot of my properties into that. We talked about, you know, mitigating risk. And so the majority of my properties are in that 20 year fixed AM. Uh, but I'm working with a lender right now. Their interest rates are still very low. Like I just locked a 5.25% here two weeks ago <laughs> in a commercial loan. So yeah, they have the five year balloon. But I'm like, hey, I'm rocking with you guys. As long as that interest rate is staying in the in the you know low to mid fives, I'll keep going with you. I'll refinance in the 20 year fix later with the other lender. So uh, brilliant that you're going longer term on the the rate, right? I've seen oh. so many people make the mistake of when the market's getting shaky, they're not keeping an eye on that. And they're still doing these one year arms and three year arms. You need to be able to get to the other side of the rainbow, yep. right? This is a cycle folks. It's going to go up, it's going to go down, but then it's going to come back up again. Yeah. The trick is getting from where we are through the dip and back up on the other side of it. And to save that eighth of a point, a quarter of a point, um, I will like to speak from experience, folks, pay the extra quarter or half or whatever it is, get yourself some terms so you can get through this. Yep. As JD is saying, if you're doing your homework, you know your metrics on the way in, you know where you're going to cash flow in an inflationary period like this, chances are rent is only going to go up. You're probably going to be able to recast that and get more money than you are today. But if you're not fixed on your debt, boy, you could be into a world of hurt because rates are going to continue to do what they're doing. And uh, that's where folks get jammed up yep. a, a good bit. So that's mitigate that risk with that debt as much. I don't like five-year balloons. I don't, I think they give you enough time. Most of the time they're going to give you enough time. Um, but I don't even like that. I, I mean, the 20 year fixed is my favorite. And there's another one with a 20 year, you know, with a 10 year balloon. And you know, when I start doing that, I feel more comfortable. But yeah, well, like you said, when you start doing a one year arm in this market, Oh man, you're stressing me out. Just making me think about it. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, uh, I know you don't do a lot of syndications. We were talking offline, folks, before we we got on, but uh, there's a lot of, of people that were running around with these pro formers, and they're not taking a look at, at tomorrow, and they're taking real short-term debt on these multifamilies and banking on liquidity event after liquidity event, 
and expenses going down, rents are going up. And it's like, that's not, that's not what happens in yeah. real life, right? You've, you've got to make sure you can get the other side of the rainbow. That's, that's great advice. So what about the management of the asset post acquisition, the rent up, uh, maintenance issues? How are you managing all that stuff? Yep. So, you know, on the front end, I factor that in the pro forma. So when I say cash flow, all that's factored in, you know, normally around 10 to 15% maintenance rate, depending on what we've done on the property on the front end, right? Um, you know, 5% vacancy rate, you factored in taxes, insurance, all that. Um, I now have every property managed by a company. So I don't do any management any longer. I used to manage and I used to manage my Airbnb for a year and a half. And I'm just at the stage in life I got three little ones, another one on the way. I, uh, you know, I wanted to be completely passive. And so I have great managers. Uh, not everybody can say the same. And it takes some time, I think, to find those and setting those expectations and interviewing. I hit the jackpot pretty quick. And part of that's because of my network. You know, you just use your network to see who other people are using. People say, well, how do I find property managers? To me, the best way to start is call other investors. Well, I don't know other investors. Okay, well, download an app like LandGlide or PropStream, get on there and look at all the LLCs listed and then look up the owner of those LLCs, call the guy, hey, I'm a new investor. Can I take you to lunch? If you call 10 of them, one of them's gonna let you take them to lunch. Then you grow off their network, you know? And so that's how I found my property manager. They do a great job. They're raising rents when people leave, uh, you know, when they're renewing, if the rents are under, you know, value, then we'll raise them up. Uh, they don't contact me unless the repairs over five hundred dollars. That's the threshold we've set. So um, it's it's smooth selling for me. I got a great great system in place right now. Do you mind me asking roughly what percent of the deal they're charging you on those? Ten percent. So all of my long term rentals are ten percent, and then my one Airbnb, my mom actually manages it. So I got a great deal there. It's like seven and a half percent. Airbnbs are usually fifteen to twenty five percent. So I hadn't told her that. I probably need to bump her pay up a little bit. But nobody go. <laughs> nobody chase my mom down because I am crushing it right now. <laughs> so folks, if you can find a management company that is handling your day to day, your lease up, they're adjusting rents, they're handling repairs for ten percent. It may sound like a lot of money. It is free. <laughs> you can say that again. You can say that again. That 10% is the best money you will ever spend if you're looking to grow and scale. Another mistake I made, you know, years and years and years ago when we first started, there weren't all these tools. There, for me to connect with a guy like you now, it's easy peasy, right? And mm -hmm. and like you said, if you call 10, probably four are going to say yes. Yep. The uh, We found that the investment community, man, it, it is an awesome network. and The best. Yeah. The best. Like, people want to help. And and there's today, you've got videos on everything. There There is so much information and so much knowledge out there. Um, and it's easy to connect with folks. And if you take that stuff and you outsource it, it will give you the ability to scale in a real significant way. Uh, I made every mistake you can, JD. You name it, I screwed it up <laughs> along the way. And for a long time, we were trying to manage all that stuff. And boy, oh boy, do you get jammed up real quick. And then you don't understand how it happens, but it happens where all of a sudden, a week, two weeks, a month will go by. You haven't looked at a damn deal. You haven't looked at one new deal because you're working what feels like all day long. 
and you're just in triage. You're just dealing with the next headache, the next issue that's coming, the next vacancy, the next adjustment. You're doing homework on comps and what change, and you you you, you get knocked out of. And for me, I'm I'm not a a, a detail guy like that. Yep. I'm a deal guy. I'm a deal junkie. Right. Give me the deals. I want to gobble them up, analyze them. I want to have fun with them. Uh, I was miserable. I was trying to run all this stuff and and then you bring somebody in and then it, man, oh man, that is the best advice um, I think you could possibly give. If you can find somebody that'll do that, um, that is a great, great way to help unlock the ability to reach the masses. So, yeah. And I always say, look, we're dealing with and maybe this is naive of me, you know, but but I the way I think about it is we're dealing with hundreds of thousands, if not million dollars worth of properties. OK, and at this point, we got millions of dollars in our properties. Why am I going to try to skimp for a couple of pennies? Why, you know, that is going to take so much of my time away. It's just yeah. not worth it. I mean, it's just not worth it at all. And I'm assuming you got all that in your initial pro forma anyway, right? So if you can't can't absorb a 10% hit folks on your pro forma, it's probably not the right deal for you. Exactly. So if you had to give a a newbie some advice, is there any specific like books or webinars or training, any, any places that or books that you've read that really help to kind of frame this game for you? off of jump street so i think everybody says it you know if you're just brand new to money in general i think robert kiyosaki does a good job with his rich dad poor dad just teaching about debt right how to leverage other people's money um i really when i started i enjoyed podcasts like this so any podcast that you can get on and listen to people talk about real estate at the time when i first started you know, I couldn't find that many, but bigger pockets. That was like yeah, everybody only knew about bigger pockets. Now there's so many other good ones. So listen to every podcast you can. Um, you know, hop on every real estate book you can. I, I didn't really dig into books. You know, people ask me, what's your favorite real estate books? I didn't really dig into to them that much. I listened to podcasts more. And then I went to guys. I think you can save a lot of time. I love reading books. I read a lot of them, but I think you save time going to somebody who's done it. And so I spent a lot of time with my buddy who was doing it and his team. I just would, whether they wanted me there or not, you know, I was on the phone hearing about their deals. I wasn't doing any deals. I was just listening and watching. And so I think you need to learn everything you can do. And then like we mentioned earlier, once you get that foundation, you can talk the lingo, you understand real estate, learn how to be a bird dog. That should be step two. And when I say bird dog is learn how to find deals, learn how to analyze deals, even if you're not buying any analyze deals every day or a couple of days a week and learn, okay, this makes sense. This doesn't make sense. Can I do something to this property? Like add a bet, add a bathroom, turn it from a three, one to three, two. And now it makes sense. You know, just like thinking through all those things all the time. Um, you know, that's really going to help you because like we mentioned, once you start getting that down, once you can mine those gems, right? Then you can find capital. Whether you say, hey, I don't have a ton of capital right now, you're going to find somebody who will probably lend to you. And so, um, you know, that that was big for me. And then obviously, I'm I'm biased. I got a course coming out for beginners. So you can holler at me at Finance Cowboy on Instagram. Would love to help you. But uh, really dig in and just build that base and start finding properties or start analyzing properties. So this has been great advice. Is that the best way for folks to find you on Instagram? Yep. Instagram.com slash Finance Cowboy. 
Uh, this was a, a fascinating chat, JD. Best of luck. Congratulations on the success. Uh, I think it's a great story. Congratulations on the brand. This is this is great stuff, man. Really, best of luck to you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys having me. And like I said, if you got any questions, please reach out. Absolutely. He is the finance cowboy. JD Sustar, everyone, as always, stay safe.